Good evening, everybody. Uh, happy to be back here. Happy Thursday. Uh, finally, we're able to kick off the 2023 race season in Formula One and IndyCar joining uh, NASCAR, who's uh, already been on track here for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've already seen the Daytona 500 and uh, last weekend at Fontana. Um, you know, really looking forward to uh, getting... Getting back to the track, I'm I'm pretty excited. I get to uh, I get to attend my first uh, NASCAR race at the pro level in quite some time. Uh, I'll be joining our friends from Kyle Busch Motorsport this weekend in in Vegas uh, for the truck race tomorrow night. Uh, just wanted to do a little recap on uh, what we've what we've covered, uh, what we've missed, and what's going on this weekend. Uh, obviously, Formula One uh, returns to the track here in Bahrain. Um, you know, lots of changes. Um, we're going to be missing uh, Nick Latifi, uh, Danny Ricardo, both uh, no longer in active seats. Uh, we saw Fernando Alonso move, um, you know, replace uh, Seb Vettel in uh, in the Aston Martin. Um, you know, uh, Pierre Gasly leaves Alpha Tauri. He's going to be joining Alpine. Um, you know. Oscar Piastri joins the season or joins the series as a rookie this year. And then uh, we also have Nick DeVries, um, you know, technically a rookie, although he did get to make one start last year. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Lots of um, speculation, lots of people making comments about what last, uh, what the test um, session was last week. Uh, Red Bull definitely led the pack. Uh, they seem to be poised to, you know, uh, mount their charge and uh, go after their second constructors and potentially their third drivers championship uh, this year. They look like the car to beat. Um, you know, definitely Verstappen is going to be uh, the the main man out there. I don't know that uh, the team would allow uh, Checo to, you know, make a, to mount a challenge. Uh, but it's going to be fun. I mean, Mercedes, they were able to offload a whole lot better than they did last year, you know, had had a really messy day two with, um, you know, a hydraulic leak, but hopefully they're able to, to recoup. It looks like Ferrari found a lot of straight line speed. Uh, hopefully they're in the mix. And then, you know, obviously Aston Martin had an amazing test and and they'll be really curious to see if they're able to to move that speed to carry that speed into race pace and actually uh, start moving up the grid. Um, in addition, we've got IndyCar hitting the track, uh, which I think is the first time that I can remember F1 and, and IndyCar starting their season on the same weekend. And, and what I've been preaching here for the, the entire week is that I'm hoping that people, especially the new racers that have come into Formula One through Drive to Survive, actually give IndyCar uh, an honest test because getting to see Formula One in the morning, getting to see IndyCar in the evening is a really fair, you know, a really easy comparison. They're going to be at different tracks and obviously, you know, tracks have their own characteristics, but get to see the difference between what Formula One's doing and, and IndyCar where you know, not to ruin the surprise, but IndyCar is going to be far better racing. It's going to be way more competitive, even though that the the track that they're at this weekend, St. Petersburg, is a combination airport and street circuit. Uh, very, very difficult to pass. Extremely tight 
sections and you'll still see drivers able to make overtakes because the the cars are just you know more uh better suited for the overtakes with with much smaller budgets um you know for for new viewers you're not really going to see a lot of difference or new new viewers to racing you're not necessarily going to see a lot of difference in the cars they look quite similar from the outside um but fraction of the budget um so yeah hopefully people are able to give uh you know give both series uh, uh a chance and then you know long term we're hoping to see more people move from formula one to indy maybe into nascar um you know try and find some grassroots uh local racing you know find the up-and-comers support your local racers uh whether it's you know a little track you know here in edmonton we have edmonton international raceway uh just a small little quarter mile oval um but a lot of fun great racing you always get to see action on these short tracks which is what makes them so popular in in nascar um you know even in indycar they race at you know small for them um seven eights ovals like iowa uh richmond they used to race at and and the racing is just fantastic um but you know to get out and see these you know get to see your local racers and and support local racing is is just awesome um NASCAR obviously, as I mentioned earlier, going to be in Vegas, all three series uh, from trucks to Xfinity to cup, Um, you know, Vegas, obviously the, the big draw is, is the nightlife and, and things away uh, from the track, but Vegas can produce some pretty good racing. So hopefully uh, weather holds and, and, uh, and we have a pretty good show. Um, Really happy. I got a very good friend of mine here and uh, all around good guy, Um, you know, didn't I, you know, didn't know uh, this guy personally uh, until a couple of years ago, uh, but I knew a lot about him and and um, knew of him and and heard so many great things about his career path and uh, who he was as a race car driver and and specifically uh, specific regard to his ability to take care of a race car through a race, uh, not necessarily something that was shared by his father, who was uh, recently inducted into the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame actually last week. But um, yeah, real happy um, to to uh, have my friend uh, Mr. Daryl Har join us. Um, you can start saying hello to everyone here now, Mr. Har. Hey, Colin, thanks for having me. This is a pretty beautiful place to come and sit uh, on a snowy afternoon in March, uh, surrounded by trophies and race helmets and tires. It's uh, this is the right place to get the bug back did, into your system. Did it start snowing today? I've been I've been trapped <laughs> inside. I thought it was pretty nice. It, it, was, it felt like springtime at the beginning of the. Um, morning but uh, it's it's back to being winter again now well that's awesome yeah so daryl's got a really interesting story um i don't technically know your your title within your business um general manager vice president of the business depending on the operations we're talking about or if you're upset or not <laughs> <laughs> that's why you keep coming out to deal with me when i'm there yeah, that's right. oh here's that problem customer <laughs> yeah, again right. uh so daryl's family owns a, a company here in edmonton called westworld computers they are um and were the Apple dealer in Western Canada before Apple was ever here. Um, you know, Daryl's father, Carl started the business. Um, I remember um, Westworld being really influential, um, getting computers into schools. That was kind of the first, yep. um, you know, kind of 
you know, memory I have of, of your business, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about work. We're going to talk a lot about racing and, uh, you know, hope to hear, um, you know, uh, hope definitely I need to learn a lot because you know far more about both than I do, but um, yeah. So tell us a little bit, you know, obviously, you know, Westworld is an Apple dealer, but you know, tell us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. It's uh, you know, Westworld's the reason I get to sit in this chair right now with you today. It's uh, something that my dad, uh, who's a journeyman plumber back in the seventies, um, wanted to figure out a way to do his invoices and ticketing a little bit easier. And along came um, these computer things. And he, he <laughs> sat down with one of these computer things and wrote a little program about taking care of like doing invoices and stuff like that. And he said, man, I think these might catch on. Um, and so uh, he took pretty much all the money that my mom and my mom made from waste management and he made from plumbing and dumped it and bought 10 grand worth of Apple computers, which I think back then was about three. And uh, <laughs> he, he didn't have the story yeah. like Steve Jobs going door to door trying to sell through the uh, the electronic store. Well, pretty, pretty much. And then, yeah, so those all came up on one semi trailer at the time. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, he, he was able to sell those and he just, he just kept going and kept building it. And, um, you know, he was, he, you know, he's, was able to really combine his passion of, of racing. He still has his first Mustang that his dad gave him and drag raced at, um, at Speedway in North Edmonton back in the seventies. Yeah. That's still at our shop. And, um, you know, from there he, he just did what he had to do with the business and it was a good industry to bet, put your money on, um, back in the early eighties, late, late seventies. And from there we've, uh, we've had a pretty good racing career. We've, uh, done, um, I started in go-karts. My dad raced the players GM series, uh, with support from Apple. Um, Apple kind of went a different direction with sponsorship sports and different things like that. Didn't really let us spend our money on race cars as much, but the business was profitable. And so we were able to uh, continue that into the cast car series. When I turned uh, 16, I joined him in that, uh, raced in that from about 16 to 21, 22, won a championship uh, both each. Uh, I was the uh, rookie of the year in the NASCAR or the Canadian NASCAR series, CASCAR at the time. Yep. Um, year 2000, most popular driver, which I think I have to give credit to my girlfriend at the time for all of that. So that was nice. <laughs> um, yeah. And then from there, we went down to the Winston West series and uh, uh, same thing. We, it's funny. You mentioned Las Vegas, the bull ring in Las Vegas was my first Winston West race uh, racing against guys like Brendan gone. Um, um, uh, one of the wall trips was there. Michael Waltrip was there actually. Yeah, Kevin Harvick. Yeah. Harvick. Yeah. Harvick yeah. had just passed me. He was a little bit older, obviously. Okay. Um, but yeah, Harvick went through that as well. And, uh, a lot of other uh, good names. And, and that was when, and our cars came from Hendrick Motorsports. Um, that's where I got to cut my teeth and learn the cars. I've heard of that. The, yep. the, those guys are uh, they're kind of well known <laughs> in, the, in the car. Yeah, business. they've done okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we were really fortunate. This was back before you had to have, you know, seven magic keys and a hall pass to get into Hendrick Motorsports compound. I got to go work down there in my early 20s for a few months and learn, cut, you know, understand how to make a race car go fast and um, built a lot of really good relationships um, with that's those awesome. guys. Yeah. And then, and then from there, yeah. We did. Uh, we've got over a uh, hundred starts in the KN Pro Series or Arca West. Now you would call it, and a handful of nationwide starts or Xfinity. And uh, so, yeah, it's been a it's been a crazy ride. Yeah, that's awesome. So we'll stick for now to your your main your main <laughs> job. Yep. Um, you know, obviously, I'm I'm equally interested in both, but um, you know, as an Apple dealer, yeah. you know, I mean, first and foremost for me. I've been in a similar situation to you where I've had to compete with my supplier. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you guys were here decades before there was ever a thing mm -hmm. called an Apple store and, and long before the term genius ever, <laughs> ever was yeah. in, um, 
you know, in, in the vernacular. Yeah. Um, what's, I mean, I, I don't want to make such an, uh, a pointed question, but yeah. obviously there's challenges to that. There's, there's gotta be some perk to it, but yeah. there's obviously some, some downfall, you know, I mean, being a customer of Westworld computers for a while, I've seen the store peak. I've seen the store, you know, yeah. on a, on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning when there's no product release yeah. and it's, it's a little bit quiet. It's not like going through the mall where, you know, you've got to, you know, often stand in line and, you know, you're yeah. getting elbowed by a bunch of people, but you know, if you can talk a little bit about the challenge sure. of having to compete with one of your, yeah. your suppliers. Oh, and, and, and yeah, that's, it's been a very interesting business to be in. And I remember sitting at home with my mom because my mom also worked in the business with my dad and, you know, my dad would come home and we, if you were born in the seventies or eighties, you probably learned and then lived in Alberta or BC, you probably learned on how to type on an Apple computer that my dad put in that school. On a, on a two E or a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our, our first, just to, to give you an idea how old I am and you know how old I am, but my first ever exposure, I can't, I can't tell you how old I was, but I started on a black Apple <laughs> before we got the Apple two C and eventually the two E. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, we could also talk to a lot of people about what yeah. computers were like back then. Oh yeah. Like the floppy disk was like, a, I think it was <laughs> five a, and a five and a half inch. No, oh no, no bigger. Had, oh yeah. The, the like the eights or yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 No. So yeah, that was, you know, but that was the thing. It's, you're kind of, you know, my dad was the first monkey to get shot into space in this industry type of thing. And, you know, he would, he, you know, he did what he could do. He built a great thing. And then Apple said, Hey, you know, Carl, we need you to go do the next thing. Um, and they come in and they take it and you can look at it like they're coming in and eating your breakfast, or you can look at it like you're still a part of a great growing industry that, um, you know, you're pretty, pretty lucky to, well, not lucky. He worked really hard to do it. He, he earned the chance to do it. Um, but from after Apple came in and we can't sell a an, an Apple SKU to a K to 12 school. I don't care if they come in to buy a power adapter from me. If it's an Apple branded power adapter, I have to send them to Apple. That's in my agreement with them. Um, so the industry that, that Carl <laughs> was so influential in building. Yeah. You're not allowed to have anything to do with anything. I could lose my license today if I did. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that that's that one went pretty pretty far the other way. Um, the next uh, the next one after that, they said, well, we're going to bring out something called an iPod, and it revolutionized you know consumer uh, retail computing, uh, of course, with the iMac, of course, and the 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 internet that um, you know came along shortly thereafter. And 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 my dad went and he took a another loan out um, in the year 2000, the similar time when Time Magazine printed on the cover "Death of an American Icon" and had the image of the Apple logo. Apple was going broke the day my dad bought our building here in West Edmonton, and uh, you know it, Apple was right. Steve came back, uh, Steve Jobs, and and you know he revolutionized the business again. Um, and we, yeah, we we would have people lined up around the block in the 2000s for releases. Um, and then after that, um, of course, Apple opened their own retail stores, and yeah. it took them a little while to get to our back door, but they did, they did eventually. And our Calgary store wasn't really able to hang on down there, but you know, we didn't have an owner in the Calgary store. I think when you have an owner in the business, it's, you know, you're, you're not going to have as much waste. You're going to have, you're going to have to retain those lessons and stuff. Um, and so after Apple opened their own retail stores, there was a lot of um, dealers that uh, went away. Um, but if you're not, if you can't evolve, if you can't grow, um, you are going to go away. And, and the nice thing that we did is that we listened and we watched again like Apple and Apple said, well, we want to expand into 
markets we're not going to go to. We're not going to build, you know, 7,000 square foot stores in Saskatoon. <laughs> There's no point right. in doing that. So we, we went into a, uh, a kind of a competition per se with all the other dealers in Canada. Um, and there was about 30 of them and two of us, one from the East and ourselves emerged as the partners to open uh, retail stores for Apple where Apple wasn't. And those were called iWorld Connect. Uh, yeah. today and I'm, I've just got the slide up now yeah, of your, there you your locations and, yeah. you know, and obviously, you know, you and I talk an awful lot about business and, and what's going on. And there's obviously like, it's great to have that kind of expansion. And then it's great to, to have that ability to, you know, start multiplying your revenue. Yeah. Well, but it could also, but, it could also divide your revenue or, or lose your revenue that fast. And that's what happened for five years. We thought our, I'd be on the beach sipping my ties by uh, 2015. And all I did was get a bigger psychiatrist bill uh, yeah. because it was, yeah, it went the other way. Uh, there's with, no, there's no app for that on yeah, the, no on the iPhone. No, yeah. Yeah, well there is, but there's, yeah, was, <laughs> I can't afford it. Monthly subscriptions and all. Um, so no, but it, it's, it's something with what it is, what you make it. And, and there's a lot of people that are in other businesses that have gone broke as well. But anytime you have this many people want that want to buy this much product, I don't have to go out there and find a customer. Everybody is my potential customer. I just have right. to appeal to the right ones. And where the other dealers went, sideways in a lot of cases was that they tried to compete with Apple. You know, they zig, I zag. You're not going to get through the race car on the track by trying to drive the same line as him. You got to find a way around him. <laughs> and yeah. And you don't, you don't win the race on lap one. No, exactly. You've got to be patient and bide your time and look for opportunities. That's right. Excellent crossover, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. The crossover move. <laughs> yeah. It can work. You got to have a good spotter. No, trust me. That's right. Well, yeah. I got one here in front of me. So this yeah. is working out good. Well, you've got to take my word for it. We've never worked together <laughs> in that capacity, go. but, uh, so yeah, no, overall, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's what I think keeps me sharp. It's what keeps me working hard for it. My dad always said, well, when, as long as we had Westworld, we could go racing. Um, that was, turned out to be a lie. <laughs> 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 so I got pissed off at my dad for about half a decade there, but, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a good thing to have the, you know, such an influence on, on the way that life is going. We've had over a thousand staff come through my stores in the last 10 years. We've had, you know, 4,000 people in, in my other markets come through the stores per store per month. Um, and it's just, it's just an amazing way to take all the life lessons I've learned from racing and really apply it back through my staff and my store. Um, you know, being able to you know apply trust and integrity and and honesty and business acumen to a lot of people that don't get exposed to it. Yeah, so. and it shows. I mean, again, I'm I'm a client of yours, <laughs> yeah. which you know I try not to to rub in your face uh, too badly, but getting you know having dealt with the 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 Apple stores and getting to deal with Westworld is yeah. very very different because it's very personal when you walk into your store. You know, again, you know, I won't disclose some of the numbers we've talked about, but I mean, if people understood what the margins look like <laughs> on the hardware, yeah. they'd be shocked. Yeah. You know, yeah. you think you're buying a $3,000 computer and that's going to be a, you know, a, a windfall, you know, yeah. and there's a margin there, but yeah. it's not what people think it is. So I think, you know, where you guys probably do quite well is on repairs. Yeah. Repairs and service. I mean, that, that's a, that's a great segue there as well. That's really the area that we're we've always been known for we're a premium service provider here in Edmonton. Um, and we have been for a long time. Um, you, you get your, you talk to the same person you drop your computer off with, you can get support, you can get training, um, on 
types of machines. You can get upgrades. We have a trade-in program. Um, a lot of <laughs> I know that one quite yeah, well. Yeah, you do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, you run uh, your your information through the trade-in checker on Apple's website. I'd probably tell you we almost pay you double. Um, you know, because they they don't know what kind of condition you're going to get it in. You got to put it in the mail, mail it back to them in some cases. Um, no, we we really take care of our customers for life. And so when you know somebody comes to me and they say, hey, "Can you price match Best Buy or can you price match these guys for a hundred bucks?" I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I'll just just yep. move along. I'll take care of the guy who yeah. values my time. And uh, but but to you know, hey, I'm a thrifty guy too. You don't go. You don't. <laughs> you know, I look for deals as well. But it's just we do appeal to a certain audience member, and um, and I'm and I'm proud to work with those audience members. That's the big thing. Is is you kind of get the energy that you put out. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for people who've never been, sorry, I kind of, I have, I've got to figure this whole camera thing out. I like talking to you and looking in the eye, but then I have to talk to everyone who's watching. I've been to this shop, you know, countless times and your training center, like your, your classroom is amazing. I mean, you know, you probably have capacity for 25, 30 people in there with projection. And, you know, every time I've gone in, that's the question is, you know, well, do you need to come in? Like, do you want to, yeah. you know, get training? Do you want, well, I've been a Mac person. I've been an Apple person for an awful long time. I mean, my yeah. camera here is, is on an iMac that you sold me. Um, this is an iPhone. Like, I mean, everything I'm looking at my, my watch, I know the product quite well, so I don't feel like I need training. Um, I've already got a good question here. This is one of our oh, friends, uh, positive Mike. Um, I'll throw it up on the screen here, but he wants to know if you can fix PCs like HP. Um, we don't really do a ton of that. Um, we can move your information from your PC or from your PC to a Mac. We definitely do that. You can, part up, of it. You can upgrade someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I highly recommend that you yeah. do Mike. Yeah. And, and you know, there are different ways depending on your needs. And I, again, I use windows. I got a new windows computer coming to go to the racetrack with next week. Um, and, uh, you know, you write tool for the job, right? So I, I understand why PCs exist. I, I use them. Um, but uh, we don't do too much in that space. Uh, but yeah, as, as far as our classroom goes, we we had to take a break because of the pandemic. But yeah. uh, full renovated classroom, uh, new lights, new ceiling tiles, new paint on the walls, uh, the 24-inch iMac like you have on your desk here. Um, in there are instructors, a new instructor who is just, everybody loves them. Um, but like you said, if you've owned your Apple products for a long time and you're kind of a good generalist in the products now, um, you, the classes may not be for you. So what we do is we offer one-to-one seminars as well as well as home on sites and business on sites because a lot of what we've recognized is a lot of people's struggles today are very specific they might be around iCloud they might be around a certain application you know they might be around a networking project at their home or a podcast studio setup like this for example um so no we we have a lot of um very eclectic uh, people in our business that can help just about anybody anywhere yeah and you know i mean as a as an avid apple Person. I mean, we're kind of deviating from business here and kind of turning this into <laughs> a commercial. But, yep. you know, one of the things that I always appreciated having been a PC and a BlackBerry person before my time with Apple is that there isn't a lot of repair to these things. There isn't a lot of, you know, when when I made the switch and for me, it was it was it signaled the downfall of BlackBerry, which is really easy to say now, knowing how it turned out. But I was a hundred percent in the blackberry camp at one point we had 14 of them here within the office loved them like supporting a canadian company i couldn't i couldn't have been any more staunch and it took me one day um it, it was four hours of customer support to get an email address added to the device because it had to go back to 
um, you know, my carrier and they had to turn on something and something and something. And yeah. when I got my first iPhone, which was a three GS, yeah. um, you know, which is a long, long time ago. And I'm like, I didn't know anything about it. I'd yeah. seen, you know, the, the wacky apps, the beer drink app and the, the <laughs> fart maker. The and, the, yeah. it, it, and that's what it was in the beginning. Yeah. But like, wait a second, I'm able to add my own email address to this thing. Like, yeah. how does it know? It's like, well, because that's how it's built. Like, yeah. wow. And then, you know, that evolved to all the other, you know, products. So I, and I, I know I've had like one or two tech issues, yeah. but I don't ever remember sending a device in for repair. Well, that's, you know, and that's what's happening a lot today with, if you think about the automotive industry and how it grew up, you, everybody needs to know how to change a tire, change their oil, because you're probably gonna have to do both on the same, on the side of the road at the same time. Um, but today, you know, cars are pretty reliable. And so when something goes wrong, a lot of people out there don't know what's going on. So it's, it's good that we, and it, but they also a lot, the computers and devices today don't have as many moving parts. Uh, all of your, um, there's the, all the hard drives are now solid state drives. So you just don't have those failures. And where where we are moving, where the puck is going or the, the, the passing lane right now is, is with um, user support, a business support in specific. Um, we're a member of the Apple Consultants Network. Um, if you... Uh, I run a business with more than a couple employees or have ever been locked out of your Apple ID, um, we are starting to be able to support these businesses because they, they have sensitive information on the devices. They don't want staff to be able to send or, or copy. We help with that. Um, you're giving thousand dollar devices to staff that, you know, could, if they get pissed off at you, they flip it back at you and they leave their Apple ID in it. And that device is basically going in the trash. So we do everything from, and from a PC point of view um, or windows point of view, we can help deploy PC devices as well. So, um, it's a very deep conversation when it comes to um, providing business support. Um, but like, for example, we would um, integrate with your Apple business manager and your Microsoft account. So when you get a device, if you have an office, say in Saskatoon, you send this computer to them, they boot it up. It says, hey, enter your uh, email, password, um, email and password. It automatically downs all, downloads all the programs, yep. sets up their email for them takes off any programs that you don't want them to have yeah. and uh, and you can you'll push changes and stuff it, it is a beautiful I run five stores and this is the only way I've been able to do this uh, before this I've I was constantly having issues with people erasing stuff that they shouldn't erase it, it's, it's really cool with the way it's going but it, there's a lot of moving parts so what would you um, you know getting back to kind of more yeah. business chat sure. what's your what's your big challenge in the business? these days um well my big challenge is the, the well the, i think it's the same for everybody is rising costs rising employment costs rising utilities rising taxes and for me my margins and volumes don't go anywhere um they stay the same i just because my insurance went from 60 grand last year to 100,000 this year which is a true number i can't just turn around and sell you a computer for 100 dollars more so that that figuring out how to navigate that and bring margin top end margin back into my business is is the biggest challenge um you know also uh employee motivation uh, a few years ago i um I said, okay, I'm, I'm done with the constant turnover. And, and it because we were always a commission-based business, yep. but as margins went down and talent kind of left, it was more difficult for young uh, people to make sales. And, but what ended up happening is now I had a rotating door, so I could never build depth in the business. So I kind of said, dad, you know, I got to bring in some people. We're not, we're not, you know, we don't blow the doors off of our salaries. We just can't do that, but we, we have to provide stability for our staff so that we sure. can build uh, a, a base of uh, knowledge in the business and customer support. So that's, that's the biggest challenge right now is trying to replace the eroding 
margins um, because hardware you can't really sell it for a lot more. Well, you guys, they, you guys are basically mandated by Apple yeah. to sell at a price. Well, it's it, you know Apple just gives me such small margins yeah. that I can't discount it because it doesn't make any sense to do that. <laughs> Well, there's, there's nothing to play with. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so replacing it with, with services um, and support services where, you know, I can pay a guy's salary in three hours of labor. You know, that, yeah. that's what we're doing. So, and then, so that means you move more towards the service and the training yeah. side of things. Yeah. Is that accessory products? Is that, yeah. Yeah. Accessory is that something products. else? Yeah. Well, it's, it, yeah. I mean, we do print managed print services. We can do your uh, closed circuit uh, cameras. We, we do all sorts of stuff. And so we're okay. basically doing a, a piecemeal, um, uh, managed support program now where depending on the level of users you have devices you have in your business uh, we become your help desk you just call us up and we say yeah we're going to be able to give you an estimate within an hour basically uh, we have to do a little bit deeper dive to give you a full quote but you know my i actually ran it through my business and i have five locations with 50 employees and about uh 20 about 30 devices okay and it was it was under a thousand bucks a location per month um and that's when you're if your systems go down, your network goes down, well, you can lose a thousand bucks in a day. So it, I've actually found it quite reasonable. I was like, man, I would buy that. <laughs> this is good. Well, there <laughs> so, you go. You create yeah. a product that you want to use. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. we, and, and that's the other thing we use everything that we sell. Um, I, we're Marcus, Microsoft shop. We use Microsoft, uh, um, as your exchange, um, cloud services. Um, obviously we use it on Apple products. Um, we do use some PCs in house for stuff that we can't do, uh, on the Apple. Um, but yeah, we're not going to kick anybody out no matter what they're using. It's, it's interesting to me that you're getting geared up with PC stuff to go to the racetrack yep. as I just got geared up with a new you know, iPad <laughs> yep. Yep. for me to go to the racetrack because all of our telemetry, all of our data yep. is Apple based. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. app based. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have, I already have an iPad. I just want to make sure I have everything, but yeah, I know mine was for the uh, same thing. You know, the data logging I use in the cars with aim is uh PC based stuff. Um, and uh, I don't, I don't want to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I know you don't like aim. No, I do not. <laughs> and you know what? All the squiggly lines was confusing me too. Uh, in NASCAR, we never even weren't allowed to have a computer near the car. So this is all new for me. Yeah. Well, they, they do nowadays. So, yeah. um, yeah. And that's awesome. I, you know, just it can't say enough. You know, you guys run a great business for anyone who's in the Edmonton area or in Western Canada. If you have the chance, you're an Apple person. Definitely get on over to Westworld Computers because they're they they know as much as anyone. Superb, like in undescribably excellent service, um, and you never feel like you're you're getting hustled. You never feel like you're rushed. It's very calm. It's very um, you know user centric. Um, just you know, cannot say enough. And, you know, the nice thing is I can park right in front of the building and I've got a three-step walk before I'm inside. I don't have to park in a, you know, parkade, you know, walk through four phases of a mall that's perpetually under construction to, you know, to then get frustrated because I know more about my product than somebody else does. Um, you know, there's, there's my rant, but, um, you know, we hear, we hear that every once in a while. Yeah. It's, it's, like I said, it's a nice business to be in and it's nice to be able to help people like yourself to, uh, you know, get the most of the products is fun. Yeah. So obviously we also (laughs) want to talk about racing. Now this isn't a segue. This is just, I'm done with business and now it's time to have some fun. Exactly. Um, you know, unless there's something else you needed to, no, to I, don't, I don't think so. I think, you I know, I guess I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll just, uh, well, I appreciate you having me here. So I'll give the shout out to the iWorld connect stores in Saskatoon, Regina, 
Lethbridge and Kelowna. So yeah, for the rest of your audience that's listening from Western Canada, obviously we've got a couple of websites, westworld.ca. Um, we have a lot of uh, pre-owned and trade-in. So if you're looking for a deal on Apple products, that's a 20, great place. 20% to go. of that stuff came from me. Yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I think your stuff's already sold, but, uh, or, or, or at my house, I'm like, I like this, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, we've got some pre-owned in there. Um, and like I said, whether you're trying to upgrade, um, and you've got some old Apple products kicking around the home, um, come in and trade them in before they, uh, Go, go, yeah. And, go and again, I've, I've taken advantage of this. I mean, uh, here's my new uh, <laughs> Apple Watch Ultra. I traded my old one in, um, you know, exchange my iPad uh, for an iPad Pro. Um, you know, the, the program is super, super um, simple. Very like, I mean, you said probably double what the, the online is. I, I've seen it double. Yeah. Yeah. Candidly, I can't verify that because I just don't <laughs> shop it anymore. Well, it's a point of pride for me. I mean, we, we we handle everything internally. We make sure all of your data is securely removed as yeah. well. You know, if you're selling it online or, you're, you know, who knows what those guys are trying to do. They could be running a recovery software and you think you've erased your product properly, but, you know, that's not always the case. And, uh, you know, but you have the peace of mind with us to know that it's um, – and, it, and honestly, if it's really old, if it's a 2010 and not worth anything, we're going to properly recycle it and still make sure that that hard drive is destroyed uh, properly so that your information isn't coming out in the recyclers. So I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you. Sure. And if people, well, maybe I shouldn't maybe uh, give my secret, but I've got my little notepad here. Um, 21 Xfinity starts, 12 years in the Cascar East West Super Series. Uh totaling nine wins, 14 years in the K&N Pro Series, which, you know, as you said, was the Winston West. Um, What haven't you done in a stock car like that's that's a crazy good resume for a kid from st albert alberta yeah no i, I it, it was amazing I, I look back on it now and i start you know in situations like this start talking some stories because i don't i don't have a great memory i don't think you as a race car driver can have a good memory because if and you, yet you never forget <laughs> yeah i know but it takes a little while to come back out and yeah i start to think about some of the the highlights and lowlights and a lot of the lessons learned and i just go wow and that's that's a big part of the reason why you know I, the business means so much to me because there's a lot of lessons that I can put back through the business and make, I think, pretty good humans uh, that I have influence with. So, yeah, but it's, so it's amazing. I want to get into a little bit, almost, uh, you know, I don't want to say argue, but you and I started a conversation about a week ago where I've become, you know, I want to say very, very clearly and, and candidly, I am not talking about the NASCAR Pinty series. I love all of you. I'm very happy to be part <laughs> of the series. I love my driver. I love my competitors. Love you all. I'm not talking about you, but I'm quite discouraged with what I've seen at the cup level, Xfinity level, um, with regard to, you know, NASCAR's reluctance to penalize drivers for, you know, uh, on-track behavior. Um, we just finished my radio show, you know, where I will continue to harp on the fact that it, it's a $100,000 penalty to crew member suspension for a loose wheel, separated wheel, and... You know, I feel like NASCAR at the the pro level has really gone more towards vehicular entertainment versus focusing on racing. Now, I know you probably, you don't necessarily share the same opinion, but I want to know what keeps you coming back to that or or why am I wrong? Well, no, I, I, you know, to be candid with you, I mean, I 
don't watch a lot of NASCAR these days. Um, I don't watch for whatever reason, a lot of racing period. I, um, after having a 20 some year career and I still have my car and I still do driver training and I am still working with a pro race team and I still want to go racing. It's, it, it's something where you're right from the outside looking in, you always see the politics. You always see the, uh, game uh, play or whatever they, the game control, whatever they would call that uh, game management, we'll call it like, you, know, you have to have your competition yellows. You got to have, you know, it seems like there's, well, but that went away in large part once they started stage racing. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean by, by the stage racing. Yeah, yeah. That, and you know, and I, but I do agree with you. I think that NASCAR definitely had such substantial growth um, over the the nineties and the two thousands, like where they, they took Daytona from 60,000 seats, I think to like 150,000 or more um, in the course of a about five year period. And when that, when the scalpers started coming in, when you got went to Bristol and now you're paying a thousand bucks a night for a hotel and 500 bucks for a ticket, you know, it just, it, everything has its you know rubber band effect and NASCAR's rubber band snapped probably about five years ago. And they had to start really trying to figure it out. Um, the, the cost to go racing was insane. I would drive down to, you know, uh, an Xfinity race that I was trying to qualify for in Kansas and, uh, you know, I get sent home because we weren't fast enough. Um, and, and that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, but now they've gone to these franchise things where you're in the race, no matter what, which, which does that take away from competition? Maybe. Um, but I tell you what, like it, it, they're trying to balance affordability for the sport. It's stupid. We'd walk away with a $20,000 tire bill and not qualify. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's ridiculous. So they they've got so many priorities that they're trying to balance and try to get the race racing closer. I, I just, I, don't envy the position that those guys are in. Um, you know, I, uh, when I was racing in Las Vegas, actually, I was in the uh, Xfinity series. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. tried to come around on his qualifying uh, test run. And uh, I was up by the wall and he ran into me about the start finish line and put a donut on my door. And NASCAR came up to me and said, you know, give, give the superstars some room, Daryl Har." <laughs> So I saw Dale Jr. in the driver's meeting and said, man, sorry, I got a, got up in your way there. He's like, oh, my car is handled like a bag of shit. You, yeah. You're the only thing that prevented me from hitting the wall. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's great to hear from, you know, because you don't know what someone's attitude is. Yeah. You know, everyone's got a persona on TV, but you never know if that translates. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, I mean, you're to, to go up and to, you knew you didn't do anything wrong. You're allowed to be on the track. You're yeah. allowed to occupy that as long as you don't change yeah. your line. no. no. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously NASCAR has to protect their own and, um, yeah. you know, did you get penalized for that? Oh no, that was a practice run. It was just, uh, I was surprised they came and talked to me, but I felt, I didn't obviously want to hold them up or anything like that, but it was an interesting uh, experience to, and, and that's what I mean. There's always so much going on below the surface. You know, when we see those two and a half or three hour races, there has been so much that's happened that weekend before that, to get to that point that I almost feel, you know, it's tough for me to have a, what I think is a valid opinion about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of these days, I hope my, my old friend, Brad Moran, who's now like yep. the, yep. the race director of the cup series. So oh, Brad, is he really? Oh yeah. He's, oh, wow. oh, he's, he's, <laughs> right he's big him. time. Wow. But I remember, um, one of our first races, our, like with, with Alex, um, we were at, uh, Barry Speedway and, um, had an issue, um, you know, uh, had some contact with, um, uh, Joey McComb and Jeff Lapsovich, um, you know, uh, I wasn't spotting. I was just, you know, there, I was technically a team owner at the time. Um, 
and Alex was not happy with the way things went. And I remember, you know, us marching into the, uh, to the trailer with, um, with Brad, uh, Trevor Hambly and Alex Nagy, who was the, yep. you know, uh, uh, Brad just happened to be there. And I remember the, the, the level of conversation, which cannot be repeated. I mean, we can say whatever we want here right now, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that I would never air publicly, no. but I, I know we did not handle ourselves <laughs> the way that, you know, professionals probably should have. And yeah. I remember distinctly, um, you know, because Nagy had worked as tag spotter. Yeah. So that was a really complicated relationship having gone from the guy who you've entrusted with your life and did uh, i'll say this a million times that alex nagy is everything that spotter should be he is you know uh, we did a podcast a couple weeks ago and the line i used i'm going to throw this out here specifically because nagy said he was going to watch but (laughs) when i spot and this isn't about me but when i spot I'm not spotting. I'm doing an Alex Nagy impression, a very bad one, but that's what I try and emulate because he's so calm. And so, you know, what he does is what a spotter is supposed to do. He relays information. You know, sometimes you have to pump your driver up in the case of tag, you normally have to (laughs) calm him down. But as we were having this conversation and, and, you know, without again, repeating what happened, let's just say it got heated and there was a lot of, um, exuberance yeah. in, in the trailer. And it was where I saw Nagy kind of started losing it a bit, but you know, Brad and Trevor, man, they were just, they were just level. And yeah. while I was watching it, I was analyzing it because I'm kind of trying to think like I should probably reel my driver in a little bit before we get into real yeah. trouble. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I can't, I always envy those people who can kind of keep that level head when everything else is going, going on around them. So, you know, to what you're saying, you know, absolutely. The things that people don't know that you don't see on the racetrack or you don't see when a camera's like pointing in your face as you're fighting with someone in in the background, like there could, there could be (laughs) like years of stories of the behind the scenes for where people think they know what the story was, but it's so far from, from what it was. One thing I will say about competition today is I, I am, I am, I want to, I think NASCAR has done the right decision with the car today. Um, although at any time they do the transition, obviously like last year, there was no cars, there's no parts. No parts. Yeah. 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 And, and, and there are some issues with the car without a doubt, but I think we're seeing a lot more parity across the whole NASCAR cup series field today. Um, I remember talking to Brad Keselowski in Phoenix and he was, he'd blown a motor or something. So he was starting in the back with me and, and I said, uh, you know, he's talking to me and I said, Oh, good, good for you. How's your car going to be? He's like, Daryl, there's no way you're going to be as fast as me. I got a hundred pounds more downforce and 50 more, more horsepower more too. And I'm like, well, good to know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just putting up a graphic of, of the 87 car after Phoenix yeah, that, after, yeah. after that same, that was my Brad Kozlowski autograph. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, yeah. you know, that being said, we've also raced for Brad um, in the truck series yeah. and getting to, to work with his people now, you know, BKR is, you know, uh, no longer exists, yeah. but that was a like, they had such a great group yeah. uh, of people within, within that team. Um, one of the things that I got to say drives me crazy though, is NASCAR's insistence to try and be something that they're not. And what I mean by that is, you know, these races at the LA Coliseum where, you know, every series in the world for the most part is talking about sustainability and talking about environmental this and blah, 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 blah. Great. 
how can you justify spending the kind of money to basically rent the Coliseum for a month, whatever it takes to construct that they build that surface up over six feet with all that asphalt or turning their greatest (laughs) crown jewel of Bristol Motor Speedway into a dirt track. Now, whether these cars belong on dirt or not, let's keep that as a separate argument, but I don't understand why they're not utilizing their own tracks. Yeah. Or just go to a dirt track. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, (laughs) are you telling me there's not another short track in Southern California that can, that can, you know, hold an event. Now maybe Stewart probably knows of a few Carl Larson. I think there's a few good dirt racers in the NASCAR series that would probably help them out. And there's, there's gotta be a dozen dirt tracks around Bristol motor speedway. So why take away such a great event? The, the racing at Bristol is unparalleled for being able to run multi-lane like i think i think the big thing with nascar is it's always the same audience and and eventually just get bored so they're trying to appeal to a different audience and that's what they have to do um you know i remember being down at a at a at um Fontana Speedway and walk around the outside loop one year and you know it's all country music and then the next year I come back and it's all electronic music you know they're just they're trying the 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 audience has to evolve just like the sport has to evolve and for me with the new car and some of the new things I've seen um I I do take a little bit more of an interest in it now than I have over the last few years because otherwise it's just all the same right and but now that Fontana they own to that end they're taking Fontana which is currently a two-mile configuration originally built by Mr. Penske and they're going to convert it into a short track, yeah. well, which I think is a really good idea, yeah. depending on what they do with the rest of the land. Yeah. yeah. Fontana was my one of my best tracks. I know a lot of, it's kind of a boring race, but man, I, I qualified at 178 miles an hour there, got out of the car and was like, that was amazing. Let me go again. <laughs> that was back in the day of the, the twisted sister car. And uh, you look at this thing and you're like, did that car just have a stroke? <laughs> so well, my, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, um, I, Got to watch, um, you know, Alex race IndyCar there. Yeah. I was able to to what I'll call co-spot with uh, with Nagy, which he knew that I had a bit of experience, um, you know, just doing some some light duty stuff. He was without question the spotter, but what I would try and do because when you're focused on your car, it's real, especially in IndyCar yeah. and at Fontana where you're hitting, you know, 220 miles an hour. Man, shit happens fast. Yeah. So to try and watch your car to make sure that you can catch the move, but to spot the rest of the track, two miles is a long, yeah. long way. Yeah. I mean, at some points where the spotter stand was to where you could actually see, I mean, that's almost three quarters They're of black miles dots, away. They're little dots back there. At, yeah. at over 200 miles an hour. Yeah. So I would kind of look ahead. So if something happened, I would just give them a little contact yeah. to say, hey, like we need to back it down. Like I never talked, I never did anything, yeah. but my racing experience, I raced in the parking lot. So um, the, the go-kart track there was awesome. So the go-kart track was just outside of turn four. Um, Cal Speed is what it was called. I had to rack my brain there. But it was a fun little track, especially in a shifter car, running around really the parking lot yeah it, it's a it's a beautiful place and uh yeah there's no there's no experience honestly like uh take the motor home scene on the infield of nascar event um and we would run the friday night show there and so i got the rest of the weekend to drink beer and have some fun and i'd grab a couple of my uh co-drivers uh, that i'd race against and we'd start on one end with like one beer and uh, and then we would get back around the other end and not not have gotten any more beers ourselves but people just give them to us and there's shot stations and it's just it's a little festival inside the, the yeah. and it's a two-mile walk and it, it's just a ton of fun it's a community and and i think that that's the the big thing and uh you know if you're, it doesn't matter what type of sports you're into or well at least what type of racing sport um it's a community it's a family event obviously and that's you know it's just an excuse to go hang out together 
<laughs> which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, you're obviously a jovial guy. Um, you laugh a lot. I mean, people are going to see, you know, very, you know, upbeat, very positive. Do you have a temper when you race? Um, yeah, you know, what's funny. You asked that, um, my crew would Why always buy in trouble. Do no, 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 it, it, it's good. I, I, uh, I guess who, what it was a Joey Logano and Kyle Bush talking about what you put the helmet on. It's a different person. Um, I, I get a little bit, um, yeah, I, I get very one and zero when I race, um, very focused. Ah, and, excellent computer reference. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah. And um, they all, my crew always knew that if somebody hit me, they would just look at each other and go, uh-oh. <laughs> and it's not because I got mad. It was just because I got motivated. Um, you know, it just sharpened me up. And I wouldn't necessarily go out there to try. And I, I've never really, I'll run them tight. I'll run them tighter. I'll maybe put a door, you know, rub on them or, or push them through a corner. Um, I just, I never want it to go off that other end of the ledge. Correct um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. But I want them to know that, uh, you know, I'm going to make you sweat. You're going to be driving out your rear view mirror for the next 10 laps. <laughs> so yeah. Did, yeah. You, did that ever manifest itself outside of the car? Um, not very often. I should. Yeah. I probably once or twice at some point, uh, but no, I, I, um, I think that's my manifest like that it's it's watch and get more intense on what my objective is yeah. and so if i'm in a car and i want to get past you i'm watching everything you're doing you, you were talking about just how you're watching the spotters meeting watching the you know uh, the little idiosyncrasies of people's communication or their way their body language is and i watch the same thing in the cars uh, when we do when we're racing a road course especially I start to learn where they're slow, where they have trouble because at a road course, you're not going to be fast anywhere. So I, I, you know, give me two laps and I'll figure out where I'm going to pass you. Um, and in life I do the same thing. <laughs> you know, I look for idiosyncrasies. I look for people's uh, body mannerisms and stuff like that to, yep. to understand them. And uh, so would you, you would be more of payback on track or you would just kind of like, just kind of dust it off and, and move on. Like, you know, like we showed the picture of, of the end of the Phoenix <laughs> yeah. weekend with Brad, you yeah. know, and that happened. Yeah, that, that wasn't a deliberate move. No, that wasn't, that was like, that was a closing thing. I mean, I was, I was, you know, Brad's second faster than me at the track, but no, there's a couple incidents that I th can think of where I was running in Sonoma. Um, and I was, I run it. I never had a proper road course car when I raced in the West series. I, um, I always just converted my oval cars and they were kind of a, um, and they were heavy Hendrick cars. Like they were from 1998, I think. Yeah. And but for, for people to understand oval cars are, are built in such a way so that you have all the weight, you know, primarily on yep. the left side to help the car turn through the corner where on a road course, you obviously want your car to be way more neutral and more balanced. You know, yep. you need to have equal balance front and back and left and right, because yep. obviously oh, you exactly. make. Exactly. Yeah, and it's not course. like a street car with, when you're running a, a, a oval car, the right side frame rails, eight inches off the ground and the left side frame rails, uh, four inches off the ground. So when you go to a road course, you're trying to balance this and the body's put on a certain way to take, to take advantage of aerodynamics just to turn left. Well, now yeah. you also have to turn right. So nonetheless, um, Sonoma was one of my most favorite racetracks. We've raced it on the simulator here. <laughs> if you can remember did, that. Did, did we, <laughs> was I there for that? Uh, no, you weren't. Um, but, uh, so dis anyway, despite, I, despite the, uh, the innuendo, who yeah. was who was faster uh well eventually two weeks later you were faster no that night i was faster i did set a faster time <laughs> yeah, before exactly. the end of the i remember that anyway <laughs> anyways so yeah i i did get spun there running fifth on the last lap and i still if i ever get back on the track with that person i probably won't give them as much room as i could 
understood. So, so not to say I don't forget stuff. But. So going from <laughs> your memory is terrible, but <laughs> you know, again, drivers, drivers never forget. Yeah, like, yeah. There's there's a few instances from my racing career that I would probably, like I said, not not give them as much respect as I would uh, some other people. So now to that end, who would you say through your career? was your toughest competitor. Like, did you ever have a rivalry? Uh, or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go-karting Jordan Kraus. He still races. He's still, he's a part of the new track down in uh, uh, Rocky view. Uh, oh, down in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. I think they're doing turn 16, turn 19, turn 18. I don't know. They, they got the radical program down there. Okay. So, so similar many, to what they run in area 27. Yeah. 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 So Jordan Kraus uh, was my, was one of my uh, big motivators from cart uh, racing. Yep. Um, Kevin Dowler. Uh, you know, huge respect went into the Canadian Motorsports Hall of Fame a uh, year before my dad. Um, he always was very fast uh, through go-karts, through players, um, through cast car. Um, of course, my dad <laughs> would be on that list as well. And, um, you know, there, yeah, throughout the uh, the West Series, there's always that group of people that you run around uh, that you want to beat. But I would say that those are probably my, uh, my top points. I yeah, guess. so yeah. like when you were running Winston West, obviously that was springboard for you know uh truck was truck series had already been started um springboard for the xfinity xfinity and then cup who who stood out there um well there was a driver named scott lynch he was he was really good Uh, brendan gone came through that um he wasn't around long enough to me really to make really a rival with me but um yeah i think in the west series um there was always such a eclectic mix of drivers from one year to the next um none of them really stand out in my mind um uh, there's always a lot of notables that came through the series, but um, I, it, well, I think my dad, you know, I raced with him, right? So I'd probably have to say he was always the one I was checking the score sheet to see where or the timesheet where well, he was the one signing the check. Yeah. So he got, the, <laughs> you know, again, I know some of the, I know some of the stories that we won't share here today because my father-in-law used to be the constructor of those <laughs> yeah. engines. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy who signs the check always gets the yeah. <laughs> the top billing, yeah. but yeah. you know, that was one of the comments that, that Don and Mark would always make though, is that, at the end of the weekend, they could tell Carl's engine from Daryl's engine because yeah. yours was always like it went out the door, like <laughs> because you were so smooth with it. You were so careful with, with how you ran. Like yeah. you could still be like you would finish ahead, yeah. but your stuff would come back in better shape. Well, you know what they say to finish first, first, you must finish. Right. And, uh, and, and the fact that I also had to build and fix my own race cars, um, I didn't have to fix the engines, but, uh, there's a few transmissions that saw, saw some bad days. That's for sure. Yeah, as they do. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I, you know, that my dad gave me a great opportunity. I ran our shop. Uh, we got a purpose built 12,000 square foot shop up in St. Albert and we still have it today. Um, but if I brought a car home with a front clip knocked off, I was putting a clip on a car, um, uh, back in the metal body days of the NASCAR West series um they were just like what the cup cars were you get an english wheel you get a flat piece of metal and you learn how to make a fender yeah <laughs> it was a lot of fun but it was a lot of work um a lot of long nights so what's you know what are you doing now i obviously you've got the uh toyota thing yep. uh going on but tell people about this the series you've been yeah. involved in yeah no i've yeah well it's it's been nice i mean i took a little break there like i said had to focus on business for a few years but uh last year um i was uh it's a little bit of a story but i'll, I'll get through it um i i built an original toyota 86 when they brought those out or a scion frs they're all the same type of platform and i i looked at this thing and i said you know a 200 horsepower car rear wheel drive looks like sports car i think that's going to be the car of the future for these uh, uh club racing level and i w- really wanted to get behind a manufacturer i never really got the chance to do that but um so 
I bought one of these cars and uh, I built it from the ground up myself. Um, I was the first uh, race owner, pardon me, car builder to win in the Pirelli World Challenge Series in 2016. I sold the car to a team down there. They went out and won the first race with it. At that point, Toyota Motorsports Global sold me a set of their uh, factory race parts that they develop on the Nuremberg ring. Um, I brought those parts back up to here, put them on the shelf for about three years. <laughs> and uh, then I just got back to it last year and started putting the car together. I reached out to the um, the, the, the guy that I bought the parts from. Uh, his name's Rob Holland, and he was a British touring car racer uh, for a number of years. And he's actually running the SRO GT America and GT4 program down in the US now. He's shops in Denver. And so I ended up getting hooked up with him last year. And the um, and he I went down and helped them in uh, at Watkins Glen first, and then I helped them in Nashville, and then I helped them in Indianapolis, where I brought my... Uh, you know, like Indianapolis Motor Speedway coffee mug with me. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. They, they have, um, they hold a uh, race in May there uh, every year. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember what it's, it's called. It's a fairly but popular race. Yeah. I think it might catch on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm too busy golfing. Um, but uh, they have a golf course there too. I know. <laughs> Four <laughs> holes do. in the infield. They do. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I, I came down and uh, so I'm, I basically uh, finished uh, building a Toyota 86 this year and I'm doing driver training around Edmonton and uh, Calgary and British Columbia um, where if you want to learn how to drive a race car, we have all that data and uh, data and telemetry in there. I, uh, I take you around the lap, uh, the track, talk you uh, driver to driver communication in the, in the car. Uh, then I jump in the right seat. You jump in the left seat. Uh, we make sure you know the way around the track, make sure you know how to shift, make sure you know your points and uh, stuff like that. Then when, about the time that you start getting brave, I get out of the car <laughs> and say, that's when things can go that, wrong. That's when things yeah. can go very wrong. Uh, but then that's when we use our data and telemetry and video to, uh, to uh, give you that real race car driving learning experience. So that's what I'm doing here. Um, and, uh, and the car is a pretty good looking car. I think uh, if you've got those pictures, maybe that's, now's, that's the, now's now the time the, to uh, show the audience. Yeah. yeah the, um, it almost looks like uh, the Talladega Nights, you know, yeah. Panther. <laughs> I, uh, it's had a few different names. I call yeah. it. I call it Neon Tiger. We've. we've I've also heard uh, Sex Panther uh, was one, and, and Space Kitty. I think was the other other one. Um, <laughs> so now there's a few different ones. <laughs> Space Kitty. I know. Space I know Kitty. someone who will like that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So. Um, so I'm doing that here. Uh, Fifteen hundred bucks for a day um, around here in Edmonton. Um, Two thousand bucks if you want the video and photo package and stuff like yep. that. Because I have a photographer that goes to do that. That includes all the track rental fees, my time, and all the rest of it. We generally pair those up with Track Junkies days. Um, so you also get um, if you've never been in a car before, you get to go. Um, go through their education experience where they teach you about uh, the flags and the, what the, all the terminology and things all like that. All the stuff we ignore. All the stuff that I forgot about a long time ago. Uh, and, uh, but if you're more advanced, then you know, we just put you in the advanced run groups and we work together on making you faster and faster and faster. You don't have to worry about explaining to the wife or, or, or husband why your brakes are burnt out on your uh, <laughs> grocery getter in the morning. So that's, that's what I'm doing around here. Um, down in the U.S., I'm going to be managing uh, the pro Porsche team for Rob Holland. Uh, Rotec Racing. He's going to have uh, two or three Porsches in the GT4 uh, series, and we yeah. start in about 30 days down at Sonoma. Uh, yeah, they're, they're actually running the GT America series is running in uh, St. Petersburg this weekend with the IndyCar series. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Rob opted to just start our series with the GT4 program, which is the which is the uh, two driver program. It's a 60 minute race with uh, split drivers. So. so I'll get the simulator fired up. So Absolutely. we can uh, yeah. you know, maybe keep the tequila in the fridge so I can actually yeah. be your driver coach. <laughs> um, yeah. I was, as I was going through pictures, 
I saw, you know, a bunch of things. You, you at one point ran the 87 car. 87 has been my number. And I know why it's important to me. How much value do you put or how much stake do you put in your number? Uh, 71. Uh, that's a good question. 71. That's my number. I, uh, my dad racing the players jam series was always number seven. Um, and, uh, so that was the first number I wanted when I was eight years old and we went to race my first go-kart race and that number was taken for the weekend. So we picked some weird number, like 55. I don't even know why we did that, uh, for that first race, but we went out and, uh, won the race. So the story of 70 stuck with 55, now I'm stuck, yeah. <laughs> now I'm stuck with 55, yeah. oh, 71. That's that. Uh, so that's, that's my dad. And, uh, and uh just it was just yeah that that just stuck with me so that's the that's the 71 yeah i've raced a few different numbers over the course of time uh zero two was my dad my dad was number two in the um uh canadian uh, cast car uh, but yeah i've ran um yeah i've probably done just about every number through the uh, xfinity series and the west yeah series. i mean if I you're running gonna... with a contract team you're gonna take you don't yeah. care so you, you'll ask but if it's the difference between getting in the car or not getting in the car yeah, uh, I'll run whatever number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't see the number from inside, anyways. So, <laughs> oh, but you can hear it. I can, you hear, can it, yeah. hear it. It just talks to <laughs> That's you. That's right. Um, yeah. What's something about racing that you want people to know that you, that they wouldn't naturally know from watching? Um, yeah, you know, either a misconception that people ask you about, or, you know, lesson that you've learned from having to answer the same question over <laughs> and over again that people should know, or you know. Something again, because this is supposed to be kind of more behind the ropes of, yeah. of what's oh, going yeah, on. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I well, and I think it's probably a pretty typical one where you think it's all glitz and glam. And um, and at the end of the race, you think all the ladies or whoever's ready to you know meet you. And it's like, no, I got to put my race car on the trailer. Hopefully, I don't burn myself or cut myself during this. I haven't showered in 24 hours. I've been in 100 degree weather. My ass is chapped. So sorry, I'm pulling my <laughs> underwear out of my butt. <laughs> yeah. and, and now uh, I got to drive eight <laughs> hours because I got to be somewhere else tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And I got to get home for work on Monday and my car is also wrecked. So I got to figure that out before next weekend. Um, you know, uh, racing's worth it. Uh, racing's worth it. Whatever level you want to can compete at. Um, there is just a ton of lessons in sustainability and racing. Uh, you mentioned a lot of drivers that get very passionate who have uh, a lot of tempers and that, you know, once they wreck a lot of cars, um, they don't uh, generally, they get, they can't move forward, but you know, that's gotta be balanced. I wish I was a little bit less tolerant in my younger years i maybe would have done more and done better but i also know that I, I i work with volunteers and i can't be like you know what the fuck why did you take a 30 second pit stop and you know because you know they're not professionally trained athletes flowing in from mooresville recruited from the carolina panthers yeah, yeah with the, the get five days of training they get five days of training they're yeah. pro athletes yeah yeah exactly so it's just it, it's worth it no matter all the lessons are there i think that uh for anybody listening that obviously you probably have a lot of race fans on your show obviously most of them probably are but it's worth it to just go back to the racetrack at whatever level you can do it um and that's what i've learned over the last five years it's yeah. uh, which was know. interesting because that's really where we started to get to know each other a little bit better yeah was when you jumped back into a go-kart yeah yeah, at, yeah you know during one of our summer events here in here in edmonton and you know um i i remember wanting to like figure out who who you actually were as a person and and it started by helping you change tires yeah, yeah exactly it's but that's kind of what happens at a racetrack the family thing that you talk about when, yeah. when you see someone who's kind of new or you see someone you don't know you maybe keep an eye out not because you're looking over their shoulder but you want to make sure that they have a decent experience yeah. because it's obviously expensive. It's yep. obviously a lot of work and yep. hard to do. 
And if somebody has a bad experience, you don't want them to walk away and then tell five people about how bad racing was. Yeah. You know, if you're really, really lucky, they'll maybe tell one that they had a really good time and you should come out. And, and you know what? The, the reset, the break for me, it, that was really good because like I was saying about NASCAR before, anytime you grow up within something, you, you, you don't really know what it is. Right. And you don't, you know, so by taking that three or four year break away from the racetrack and then coming back, I, I'm number one. I was like, wow, I used to be in really good shape. <laughs> and I'm it's an eye opener, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the like, go-kart's a different world. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter if it was a go-kart or the, or the, or the, or the road course car. I'm like, I can't do like, two flying laps. And I'm like, I'm going to take a break. I'll let the student jump in. Meanwhile, I'm like, <gasps> the tires are overheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, these brakes are bad. Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it, it just, it really opened my eyes to, why it's worth it to work as hard as we do away from the track to go and do that because then you can make the experience whatever you want like i said bring the motor home out go with the family go to nashville go to the rock and roll museum take your girlfriend and your stepson like i did um it, it really gives you a chance to see the world in a pretty fun and healthy way um and uh you develop a ton of life skills and i um taking the break and coming back i just it may give me a bigger appreciation for all of the um all the work my parents put in to do it and uh and what you know and, and quite frankly what the fuck i did to do it <laughs> like how did i ever have enough time to do all this um and uh, when i went back to the racetrack for the first time to help rob in in watkins Glen, it was like i think a scene in kill bill or like one of those one of those movies where somebody's like a secret spy and they say potato chips and all of a sudden they're activated yeah <laughs> grabbing tires i'm doing stagger i'm filling up nitrogen i'm you know i'm i'm spotting on the pit box i'm like i don't even know how i know how to do this yeah that's awesome yeah it was a good time that's awesome yeah so then this year um gt4 yep porsche stuff yep. um that says GM. Are we going to see you racing at all this year? You know, the um, uh, Rob is just an awesome guy, and uh, I wanted to race, and but you know, I, apparently I was too good at helping him out. So he said, Daryl, if you um, have the time to get away from work, we'll uh, we'll put you in a Porsche at the World Racing League events, um, which is endurance series racing, um, and they go to some amazing places. They go to Daytona, they go to Road America, they go to uh, like they, there's there's a laundry list. I think they go to yeah Circuit of the Americas as well. Um, and so if business calms down, I got a lot of changes happening in my business right now for especially the next, uh, three to six months, but towards the fall, if all the stars align, um, yeah, hopefully it'd be in a Porsche, uh, come the fall. Well, yeah. don't forget we, uh, we can always squeeze you back into a go-kart, which well, is, yeah. you know, it's only, it's only 45 minutes away. Um, I've got exercise seats yeah, over I was there. To, so. Yeah. Squeeze me in. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. bud. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, with the hydraulic side of thing, we can grease you up and we can slip you in. So right, excellent. Yeah. yeah. No, well, and you got the simulator rig here. So I, I think you'll see me around here for a little bit more uh, over the next little bit. Doors always open, man. Yeah. Thank you very much for My coming pleasure. in. Yeah. Uh, great chatting with you. Um, yeah, you hopefully everyone got something out of this. Um, now I get to do my, uh, normally we do this over, you know, over the web, like through an interface. So we yep. don't have this face-to-face -face interaction. So this is now the closing. Well, thank, I want to yeah. thank you, Colin, for having me on, uh, Cantorca. You know, I had no idea how 
much you contribute and how much you do for motorsports here in Canada and, and the Western Canada, it's uh, the more I learn about you and, and, you know, you said names with F1 and all the stuff that off the top, I was like, I don't even know what he's talking about. It sounded like you're speaking a different language. So, no, thank you for well, it's having because they're from the other parts of the world and, and they do have different languages. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. I like, see. I'm not that dumb. Um, no matter what my mom says. So, no, but thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you, you, what you bring to this is uh, my eyes get open more open is amazing so thank you you're far too kind okay now i do my closing um again you know so good to have these these stories here um i love getting to feature another edmonton business another you know just awesome um edmonton driver who's who's had such success um you know it's so hard for local racers to make it as professionals because while you're able to cut your teeth and get started here in Canada, it's really hard to get Canadian companies to help that sponsorship and to help fund your ride. Once you move into the, the U S based series, which is where the audience is. So, you know, for a guy like Daryl, who was able to, to make it, um, you know, love sharing those stories and really love getting, you know, making sure that, that, you know, people here in Edmonton, people around the world know about it. And um, you know, uh, just, you know, super thankful to have, you know, guys like that in my corner. Um, thanks for everyone. Uh, great questions, um, you know, uh, popped up all day uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the feed. Uh, still not sure if all of our feeds are, are propagating properly or if everyone's able to, um, you know, post their comments or their questions through all of our socials. We're going to keep working on it. Um, just, I want to thank uh, my good friend, Dean Blundell. Thank uh, all of our friends over at Cryer Media for letting me do this. I love listening to myself talk. Hopefully one of you, um, you know, more of you uh, are, are moderately entertained from time to time. And uh, we will definitely be back and uh, do this again next week. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Cundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.